0: Welcome to this latest edition of our popular podcast, In The Know, where today I'm joined or rejoined in actual fact, because Mark was a guest of ours 12 months ago, Um, Mark Harries of uh, Square Mark Consulting. Good afternoon, Mark. Nice to see you here. Good afternoon, Neil. Thank you very much for joining us. What a 12 months it's been since you and I last spoke. Um, uh, We saw quite a bounce in markets last year. And then since the turn of the year, it's just haywire. What's your view of that? It's uh, this has been perhaps
1: the uh, toughest market conditions that we've seen since the 1970s. And in fact, the turmoil uh, within the markets, with, what with uh, war risk, economic risk, interest rate risk and political risks in the background, uh, according to the likes of BlackRock, are making these some of the hardest conditions for investors seen in over 40 years, Neil. So it's been an incredibly difficult period. Uh, for investors and and one that many won't have seen actually in their investing past. But like in most setbacks in markets, there's always opportunities.
0: Yes, there are. There always are. We've just put out a, a newsletter to clients where we've called it looking beyond the doom and gloom. Although the market conditions don't look particularly optimistic, there, there, is, there are some grounds for optimism. You know, we've seen the oil price has fallen from its recent peaks the dollar weakening against the euro. There are one or two things that perhaps point to maybe the market might be turning the other way.
1: Yeah, I think when you look at previous events, uh, and obviously the Russia-Ukraine story is a tragic one, but it's not unparalleled in history. And when we look at the long-term performance of stock markets, these wars and uh, setbacks in the markets tend to be just small blips on the long-term march forward for equity markets over time. And um, everyone, of course, wants to focus on this short-term noise from what's going on in interest rates to rising inflation levels, the still ongoing problems with supply of goods in many cases, and trying to work through really what is going on. But there's definitely some room for optimism, not least of which share prices and indeed many bond prices have had such a significant setback they're beginning to offer value. So we're hearing from many fund managers that many companies that they like, and indeed in many cases, very high quality companies are back to price earnings multiples. This is the price they pay compared to the earnings generated by a company back to 10 year average levels, which is an indication of value in the market. It's not screamingly cheap. There could be a further leg down to go in the markets before they settle and continue their upward trajectory, which is the long-term direction for equity markets Mm -hmm. driven by company earnings, of course. So there's always room for optimism. If we got a deal in the Russia situation, the Russia-Ukraine situation, if we started to see the Chinese ease their hitherto policy on COVID, which is zero tolerance and therefore shutting down cities, if they start to begin to loosen that, that would be seen as very positive for the supply side of the economy. And of course, we're getting very good employment numbers, both in the UK and the US, with very full employment and record numbers of vacancies. And if we see, of course, in addition to that, prices of various commodities fall as they've done in the last few weeks, which, by the way, is consistent with economic slowdown or recession. Uh, That's always happened. That, of course, will be positive for the inflation figures uh, and indeed may well signal that central bankers don't have to lift interest rates as far as the markets currently assume that
0: they might. That's very interesting because I, I would tend to concur with that particular particular view, although there was talk last week, wasn't there, of the US Fed looking to increase their rate quite aggressively because they're very concerned about inflation in the United States.
1: Yes, I mean, a lot of this is the psychology of markets. So if the markets believe that the central bankers are serious about inflation and that they are going to deal with it aggressively, they begin to adjust prices accordingly. So often you see this first in the bond markets, where prices fall, yields therefore rise in anticipation of higher interest rates. And we're beginning to hear from some of the fixed interest managers that we invest with that they're beginning to see opportunities in the bond markets and corporate bonds now are yielding somewhere in the region of four and a half percent, high yield bond markets yielding somewhere in the region of eight percent. So just from a yield perspective, starting to offer uh, what look like might be quite decent yields from here, if you feel that uh, bond markets are are uh, currently reflecting quite significant increases in interest rates. So the psychology is working. The, the challenge for the central banks is in, in reality, particularly the Bank of England, as Andrew Bailey, the governor has said, it's very difficult for them to do much about 80% of the inflation or 80% of those components that are driving inflation, because rising commodity prices is one factor. And of course, the uh, supply bottlenecks or the challenges of getting product to the consumer are both things which are out of their control. And so the reality is that for central bankers, they need to talk aggressively about hiking rates to try and get the
0: markets to do some of the work for them. Can I go back on the the employment issue, Mark? Because It is good to see that there is full employment both here and in the United States and in most developed markets, I suppose. But surely that puts pressure on increasing wages, which is not what we want to see if we're trying to tackle inflation. And this actually,
1: the the threat of rising wages within uh, economies is one of the biggest fears that the central bankers have got. Because if significant increases in wages become embedded, and that the expectation From the population is that they will get uh, wage increases above the current prevailing rates of inflation, then it's very difficult once that becomes a part of normal everyday life. It becomes very difficult then to to tackle uh, the inflation issue. And this is why they're trying to uh, really calm down expectations in terms of wages And also talk aggressively about the hikes they're going to bring through. The the interesting thing is that the Fed, despite some signs that inflation uh, is settling a little bit in America, are still talking very aggressively about increases in interest rates. Whereas actually the Bank of England, despite inflation continuing to rise and now expected to go as high as 11 percent in the UK, have already begun to pause and and, uh, reflect and really trying to see what impact the squeeze on the consumer is going to have on the uh, economy. Um, It's, of course, uh, rising utility bills, falling real wages, and the general squeeze on the consumer is seen as challenging as in any period since 1947. So there's a very significant changing circumstance going on for the consumer, which may well lead to a very significant slowdown in the economy here in the UK.
0: Yeah, that, that is certainly a worry. The employment we mentioned there about the UK, we will mention there about the the UK. One of the other issues, of course, we have got is that the post Brexit, an awful lot of the people available for employment are now no longer available for employment because they've returned to their to their countries. How much is that contributing to the picture, do you think?
1: Well, it's, it's certainly you're right. I mean, the, the Brexit itself is seen uh, by some commentators, at least, as, as a reason that inflation here is significantly higher than it would otherwise have been. Now, what do they see as driving that? What's the difference between here and, say, what's going on in Germany or France or Italy? Well, I think there's a number of factors. Uh, first of all, of course, Brexit ended the free movement of European workers to the UK, thereby cutting supply of labour. We've got over 1 million vacancies in the UK currently. That's the highest they've ever been. The second factor, I think, uh, for Brexit has been the added new tariff and non-tariff trade barriers. That's affected both the supply of goods and also helped elevate prices. And the third element actually goes back to the referendum uh, back in 2016. The uncertainty that Brexit has caused has led to a very substantial drop in the value of the pound which, of course, immediately inflated input costs. And, of course, the uncertainty that it's caused also tends to discourage companies from investing. So you add to supply problems for the future. And the reaction from the Bank of England to this, to to try and calm financial markets, was to lower interest rates and conduct a a round of quantitative easing, or QE, which actually unleashed quite a lot of extra money into the economy. And uh, that is, of course, all pushing... Or seem to be pushing uh, UK inflation higher than uh, otherwise would be the case. And you're right. I think the, the the lack of skilled workers coming in from Europe. We saw this really uh, when we last spoke. Of course, we were at the time from memory. We had that mini petrol crisis, and of course, yes, uh, we had a shortage of, of of drivers for the for the petrol yeah. tankers. Yes. Uh, and um and I think that was one early example of um a lot of labour, which, uh, whether it was Brexit or caused by COVID, meant that many uh, left the UK, supposedly in the region of a million people, which which actually almost coincides exactly with the number of vacancies that we have uh, in the UK at the moment.
0: So, so employment availability of staff is going to be a bit, bit of a problem for us for a little while or a little while longer. We t- t- you touched there on in- interest rates and interest rates look as though they're going to go up a little higher than they are but I, but I would tend to agree they're probably not going to go as high as perhaps everybody first feared. It's quite interesting that the dividend yield on the FTSE all share is is still relatively high. It's about 4%, which is obviously higher than you can get with a building society and cash deposits. So surely clients who can afford to see fluctuations in their capital, if they want income, that's not a bad yield at the moment, is it? And the interesting thing with
1: the stock market is that, of course, um, more companies have been able to start paying dividends again. Um, Probably the best known example of that is the banks. They had been constrained from paying dividends in the last year. The UK government has allowed that to um, happen again. There are some pretty healthy yields uh, in the banking sector and some of the financials, as indeed there are with some of the commodity companies. Some of the oil majors, for instance, have got uh, pretty healthy yields too. And um if you can accept the, the volatility of course that goes with the equity markets, it's pretty much always been an interesting place to be in order to to get higher yields than that's typically available from, say, cash on deposit.
0: Yeah, no, that's 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 very true. And again, we've also got the summer factor, haven't we? Because most summers we see markets get quite volatile over the sort of June, July, August, perhaps into September period. And then it, we, we get a better idea as the direction in which the markets go tends to be in the autumn, isn't it?
1: I think this year, I mean, really what we had was um, arguably that markets last year, uh, we had some of the lowest volatility that we'd seen in an awful long time. And uh, arguably, some parts of the market got very expensive. And then this year is almost kind of re, the markets almost rebased to more reasonable levels but we've had extreme volatility it's it's been not unusual to see days of three and four percent moves in the stock markets um, very violent swings in bond yields in fact if you if you think for context um in January the uh, rate expectation change in the U.S treasury markets because the fed suddenly got quite aggressive in its language around lifting interest rates. There was a lift in expectations of 150 basis points or one and a half percent in January alone. And that's the biggest move seen in over 40 years in the bond markets. So it gives you some degree of sense as to how things have changed and how violent the swing has been both in the bond and the equity markets and in fact it's been a very unusual year to see double digit losses from both asset classes at the same time.
0: The biggest threat obviously inflation is an issue interest rates look as though it's beginning to cool down the improved supply come price of commodities oils etc falling off a little bit but the common threat to equity markets at the moment is recession isn't it and and there is a fear that that if central banks are overly aggressive that will tip us into recession, which, of course, is something none of us want to see.
1: The chances, I think, of the central banks being able to raise rates and not cause recession, I think, is is uh, looking increasingly unlikely. The so-called soft landing that has happened occasionally has been more really by luck than judgment. They have a tremendously difficult balancing act trying to cool the economy without driving it into recession. The interesting thing is that America was and China were both actually exhibited negative growth in the first quarter of this year uh, and may already be technically in recession and that's defined by two quarters of negative growth. So it'll be interesting to see what the figures are for quarter two. I think the likelihood is that we will go into a shallow recession. Economists aren't talking about a very deep recession, but clearly it's a very difficult thing to predict. I, th- and I think this is the reason that the Bank of England, for instance, are being relatively cautious with their uh, hikes in interest rates, because they are concerned of the squeeze that's affecting the consumer. And in fact, one of the things to look out for is that many economists had cited the very significant buildup in consumer savings over the two years that we have had lockdown. So in America, consumer savings have gone from $10 trillion to $14 trillion. In other words, there's been a 40% increase in savings. But the vast majority of those savings are actually with the wealthy, and they don't have the same propensity to spend as the less well-off. So in fact, that was being cited and still is being cited by many economists as the way we avoid recession in the States and across Europe. But I think when you look at the detail and who has those savings, I don't think that's likely to save the economy from a very significant slowdown and very either very anemic growth or an economy uh, that's contracting. Now, the thing to say about America, which is is different to Europe and the UK, is that they are independent in terms of food and energy. So they're not as vulnerable to uh, what might be happening with, say, Russian gas or oil supplies. So the chances, therefore, of recession are seen as less likely uh, than in Europe and the UK.
0: You touched there on America, Mark. Can I just turn away perhaps from the equity and the bond markets in America and, and just talk about the strength of the US dollar and the apparent weakening we've seen over the last couple of weeks relative to the euro, relative, relative to sterling? How much is, the, is this problem a good thing, a bad thing going forward? Well, if you if you look at the
1: last three months to the end of June, in fact, the dollar is up about 8% against sterling uh, and a similar figure against the euro. So um, we've seen very significant strength from the dollar. What does that mean? Well, it depends where you are, because, of course, if you're actually uh, in America, this means that the price of imported goods is a lot lower. So that's good news for them. What it does also mean, of course, is that their products commensurately are getting more expensive, so it doesn't necessarily help their exporters. The flip side is, though, a, a weak sterling, and we have seen a weak sterling. I mean, since Brexit, uh, sterling, because of the uncertainty, has been weak generally, and it just means that the goods that we import, of course, become that much more expensive. I mean, currencies are the most difficult thing to predict. And they're very volatile they tend to reflect, as a dollar has uh, in the last 10 months or so, that uh, changing circumstances in in terms of interest rates. So if if anything is a, a good steer in terms of how currencies will perform, typically interest rates are a very important component in terms of how that currency might behave going forward. So it's all about if you buy dollars, Um, you're going to be earning a higher rate of interest than you are from actually holding sterling or the euro. And that's what's been driving the strength of the dollar. So um, a little bit of profit taking, if if that's what's been going on, a little bit of short term Mm. weakness in the dollar. Mm. I don't think is unusual, having seen such a strong dollar this year uh, against both the euro and
0: against sterling. Okay, that's good. Thank you for that. So if I were to summarise. One our discussion this morning, Mark, perhaps we could say that the volatility we've seen this year could well continue for a, a little while longer. But hopefully, as is always the case, there'll be some more opportunity, and medium to longer term investors should feel reasonably reassured that some of the capital losses we've seen will be reversed in the coming months. Would that be a fair conclusion? I think from here, yes, we've had a very, very volatile
1: market. And in fact, it's been one of the most volatile years so far that we've seen in the last 30 years. I think the we will soon, if we haven't already, find a bottom in, in share prices. That doesn't mean they can't go down further. But if we look at the history of markets, if you look at the US market, for instance, in previous recessions, uh, this is one of the... Um, the most violent of drawdowns that we've seen. Uh, equity prices, of course, can go further, but uh, in some cases, especially for mid sized and smaller sized companies, they're down typically 25%. Now, the worst that we've seen in the past is around 40% down for smaller companies in previous recessions. So there's a chance there might be another 10% from here. We obviously don't know what's particularly uncertain is the Russia Ukraine situation. But we are starting to get to a place where both bonds and equities, the former offering decent yields, the latter on uh, quite reasonable valuations, are beginning to offer value. So if we were being asked to advise investors in terms of what to do with their cash, we would certainly be suggesting that now would be a good time to start to deploy some of that cash across some of these uh, markets, because over time, these are offering quite good value at these levels. As we say, the, the health warning here is that they could get
0: cheaper, Neil, but we mm. think that most of the worst of the damage has probably occurred. And, the, and that's reflected in the prices we've already got, so we should hopefully improve from here. Certainly, certainly that concurs with our general view that um, there are opportunities to be had out there in the market. If people are particularly nervous, then the way to do is to gradually buy into the market over a period of months and try and average out the price at which you're buying assets to try to counter some of the volatility we might see. That's a very sensible suggestion. Fantastic. Mark, (laughs) thank you so much for your insight today. It's been very interesting, very useful, and I'm sure our clients will very much appreciate it. Hopefully we can have you back again for another one of these at some point in the future and uh, enjoy the rest of the summer. Thank you, Neil. Always a pleasure. To our clients, we're very grateful for you listening to our podcast today and hope to welcome you again as a listener in not too distant future. Thank you.